You ever been afraid of God? I have been with a number of people at the end of life and even some of the very godliness, godliest people that I've known have struggled with that fear of death and essentially a fear of meeting God. So a few weeks ago, the men's group was reading, we've been reading through the scripture and, and uh, we hit this passage in 1 Chronicles 21 where David had, um, he had numbered the people and it was known that this was a, a sinful deed. And there's different explanations as to what was going on. We don't really know the dynamics of why that was uh, considered sinful. There's some things that, like maybe he was trusting in the strength of his army rather than God. Maybe he was taxing them in a way that he shouldn't have been. I'm not real sure. But there comes this time where um, there's a judgment to result because of this sin. And so David's given a choice, and he's told, well, you can have three years of famine or three months of being chased by your enemies or three days of pestilence from the Lord's hand. David makes a decision, and he goes, well, I'd rather put myself in God's hands because he does show mercy, so... Um, I'll, I'll take the third one. 70,000 people die. And in that process, um, there is an angel of the Lord that's seen as having a sword, and he's at this threshing floor in Jerusalem, so it's hitting home right there. And people are freaked out, and David and his people, they're in sackcloth and ash. They fall on their faces, and uh, they don't know what's going to happen. David cries out. He says, take me and my family. I'm the one that's guilty. Please stop this. And the Lord ends up, it says he relented in some of the translations, but it's like, He's enough, and he tells the, the angel, put your sword away, put it back in the sheath. And uh, at that point, one of the prophets comes to David and says, make an altar here. And it's intriguing to me because the, the action is stopped, the punishment is over, but there's still a sacrifice that's going to be made unto the Lord. And it's, uh, it's this recognition that in some ways um, it's not just a polite, well, okay, you know, that I did wrong, you did this, it's all good, but there's still this sacrifice that's made unto the Lord saying, you're holy, you're worthy of, of everything, all is yours. And so it's a pretty uh, incredible moment. And so David goes to buy the, the threshing floor so he can build this altar, and, and the man says, I'll just give it to you. You know, he's, he's freaked out too. 
And David said, no, I am not going to sacrifice something I didn't pay for. And, and it says that he pays them 600 pieces of gold, so pretty substantial amount. But you get to that, and they build the altar, and they, um, they make the sacrifices. And then you get this verse. It says, David could not go before it, uh, uh, speaking of the ark and giving. He says, David could not go before it to seek God's will, for he was afraid of the sword of the Lord's angel. And I'm going, how long did that last? He didn't feel like he could leave town and go. Did he feel like he couldn't go in the presence of the Lord? Did he feel like if he left, maybe something uh, would take place? I, I, I don't know, but I just know that in that moment, at least, David is just going, his relationship is different than it's been. You know, when we, when we think of David, we think of a man after God's own heart, right? He's, he's selected as a boy. It's like there's something unusual and precious about this man. And we read the Psalms and we say, he has this interaction with God that we could only hope for. This amazing relationship with God that, that and he's writing all these wondrous things and yet, near the end of his life, he has this moment where he's afraid of God. And uh, I, it just, it, it, it was one of those moments where you're looking at it and say, even righteous people who have lived their lives on this path can have moments where they're not sure how things are. What I'd like to spend some more time on, though, is that this, this visitation of an angel with a sword, it wasn't the first time in Scripture. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, and they're driven out of the garden, it says God put angelic sentries there with swords, in a sense, saying, you're not going to eat of the tree of life. You don't get back in. So the, the fruit of sin was such that there was a separation and their life was different from that point on. And you have the story of Balaam. Uh, he was a prophet. He wasn't uh, one of the Israelites, but he was brought in to curse the Israelites, and he is heading down this path, and he's riding the donkey that he's had for years, apparently, and, and at some point, the donkey just takes off into a field, and he, he gets mad, and he beats it. And uh, they go on a little further, and he says he's in this vineyard, and there's kind of some narrow walls, stone walls, and the donkey scrapes his foot up against the wall, and he's mad at it again, and he beats it again. Finally, they get to a narrow place in the path, and the donkey just sits down. Well, he's beside himself. And he starts beating on it, and the donkey talks to him. says, why are you doing this? Haven't I always been faithful to you? And if that wasn't enough, suddenly his eyes are opened and he sees an angel of the Lord standing there with a sword and the angel says, if your donkey hadn't turned aside, I'd have killed you. And he tells Balaam, speak 
only what I tell you to speak. You know, this warning is going out. So there is this fear connected with such things, right? So that said, David has this encounter with an angel, with a sword, and he knows this is not a good thing. This is scary. And in that, he has this fear. But we see in the picture that he must have moved back. He must have moved past this. Because the rest of the book is spent with him developing plans for a temple that will be on that site. And it's almost like there's a hint that the ark, when you have the presence of God in, in, in a place like this, the ark, it becomes a secondary piece of furniture, so to speak. You know, it was representative of the presence of God, but the presence of God was in that place. And so they're going to build this temple, but David's told, you are not the one to build it. You've been a warrior, but your son, who's a man of peace, will build it. And in that, there's a hint that comes across that's, that's amazing. I'm so far off my nose, I don't know if I can find it. But it, it says of the son, it says, he will build a temple to honor me, he will become my son, and I will become his father. So there's a hint of something further down the road as well. So during the Christmas season, when we read Matthew, and it says 14 generations after David was the uh, captivity, and then the release, and, and then 14 more generations and the birth of Jesus, we see that Jesus was one of the sons of David. And there, that he's also the son of God. So this picture is, in some ways, leading us toward this and saying, David isn't going to be the one that fulfills it all, but a son of David will. And there's other hints in this that the sacrifice is taking a step beyond the Old Testament practice. And so when we, when we read about the work of Jesus what the New Testament writers began to sort out and begin to understand is that what he brought was a way to have peace with God again. And so for the fearful heart, and those of us particularly that have grown up, the answer stays the same. It is the sacrifice of Jesus that allows us to be at peace with God. It is the sacrifice of our Lord that is sufficient for all sin. It's the sacrifice of God that is capable of freeing us from the guilt of a sin that we knew better what we insisted on doing anyway. And should have, at that point, been setting the example because all our lives have been lived in that path. Now, it's amazing to me that, you know, David's sin as the leader of this nation affected 70,000 with death. 
So it's not like our sin doesn't have impact on others. But there's still opportunity to be brought into peace with God. And, and so in this moment, David, who had this fearful moment, is somehow brought around again. And he begins to invest. And he dedicates the rest of his life to preparing for the temple. And he knows that his son doesn't have the skills that he does. He doesn't know that he, he knows that he isn't capable of planning like he will. And so he, he sets him up, prepares it all. And I'm, I'm reading through this and I'm starting to pull in New Testament verses then. And so when we read when Jesus died, remember he's on the cross, darkness covers the land, an earthquake comes. What's it say about the temple? The veil, that veil that was 12 feet high and four inches thick, it's ripped from top to bottom. And what did it, what did it cover? It was covering the Holy of Holies. And the idea is that God is making access for people to enter the presence of God. It, the, the curtain wasn't to protect God, it was to protect the people. It wasn't, it wasn't like God was, oh man, they'll, they'll, they'll make me unclean. No. Remember the priests, there was a fear of them going in even once a year. In fact, they used to tie a rope on his foot just in case he died and they could pull him out. So, you know, they had taken this, thought this through some, and, you know, they, they just said, this is a very holy moment. This is even a fearful moment. And yet, when Jesus dies, it's like this sacrifice is sufficient to just tear that thing and say, this is a new level of relationship that has not been known before. Not even with David. In Hebrews, the writer takes it this way and says, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the fresh and living way that he inaugurated for us, through the curtain that is through his flesh. So he's saying the curtain, in a sense, was the body of Christ. It opened the door for relationship that, that hadn't been. And he goes on and says, Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with sincere heart in the assurance that faith brings, because we have had our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water. So what I can't clean on my own, and what my conscience tells me is, is separating me from God, it says that Jesus has done for me in bringing cleansing through his sacrifice. So I don't have to be afraid, but I can walk into his presence. This picture goes on further. David is preparing to build a, 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 an earthly temple. But the picture that comes through Christ is that another temple is being built. And so in 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Now generally in our culture, we always interpret that as a singular you, right? That God's presence in each one of us. And there is a dimension where that's true, 
but you can also read that in a plural sense with his presence here with us. Um, this is carried a little further in Ephesians. Paul, again, says, In him the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So there's a declaration made that because of the work of Jesus and what he's accomplished through his sacrifice is that David's temple was an update from the ark and the tabernacle, but there's a further update that we are living in now where we have the privilege of the presence of God because of the sacrifice of Christ. And we have opportunity for our consciences to be clean and completely um, allowing us to walk in confidence that wouldn't have been except for Christ. So when we walk through life and we hit these moments of saying, I rebelled in this situation. I knew better. I've lived better. But I went ahead and walked into this anyway. And in our hearts, the accuser comes and says, there's no hope for you. It's not true. It's not true. The magnitude of what Christ has done is set up through all of this so that we have the history of these stories to, in a sense, help us understand the sufficiency of what Christ has done. And we have opportunity to be cleansed and set free in him. Um, I want to read Psalm 51. And for each of us in this, um, now this is often associated with David after he'd sinned with Bathsheba. That's probably an editor's note that came in later, and it may or may not have been. It's a penitent psalm. And it's a good one to, in a sense, declare and say, um, in the cleansing of my conscience, this is, this is my heart unto you. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your loyal love. Because of your great compassion, wipe away my rebellious acts. Wash away my wrongdoing. Cleanse me of my sin. For I'm aware of my rebellious acts, and I am forever conscious of my sin. Against you, you above all, I have sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight, so you are just when you, are, when you confront me, you are right when you condemn me. Look, I was guilty of sin from birth, a sinner from the moment my mother conceived me. Look, you desire integrity in the inner man. You want me to possess wisdom. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be pure. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Grant me the ultimate joy of being forgiven. May the bones you crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Wipe away my guilt. Create for me a pure heart, O God. Renew a resolute spirit within me. Do not reject me. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Let me again experience the joy of your deliverance. Sustain me by giving me the desire to obey. Then I will teach rebels your merciful ways, and sinners will turn to you. Rescue me from the guilt of murder. O God, the God who delivers me, then my tongue will shout for joy because of your righteousness. 
O Lord, give me the words, then my mouth will praise you. Certainly you don't want sacrifice or else I would offer it. You do not desire a burnt sacrifice. The sacrifices God desires are a humble spirit. O God, a humble and repentant heart you will not reject. Because you favor Zion, do what is good for her. Fortify the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will accept the proper sacrifices, burnt sacrifices and whole offerings. Then bulls will be sacrificed on your altar. So he writes this and he just is calling out and saying, I want to be clean in you. I want to be forgiven. And he, in a sense, didn't even see the, the bigger picture that we've gotten to see. Because one of his sons would be coming to set us free in a way that hadn't been known before. What an awesome thing. So I encourage you, um, whatever is <laughs> clouding conscience even in this moment, recognize that the sacrifice of God is sufficient to clean that completely and bring you back into the presence of the Lord. What an awesome privilege that is. On Christmas Eve, my grandson wore a tie to the meal. And uh, at the end of the meal, there's this tomato splotch. <laughs> and I'm wondering if that will come out. Um, sometimes it's the same way with our sin, right? And yet I love this idea that I have been saved from my sin and a guilty conscience. I am being saved from my sin and a guilty conscience. I shall be saved from my sin and a guilty conscience. You know, I... I, there, I can point to a moment of making this declaration, oh Lord, I trust you for your salvation. I'm continuing to trust him for my salvation. When I stand before him, I will trust him for my salvation because of the cleansing of what Christ can do. Not because of who I am, but because of what he can do. And so I encourage you today, if, if you've been wrestling with this, guilty conscience or condemnation or this sense of I don't know if he'll embrace me again think of the magnitude of who he is and what he's done that's where we're set free not on not the amount of stain <laughs> but the stain remover so to speak may your blessing rest on these your people may they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives discover with joy what it is to walk with no condemnation because of your salvation. Ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. Ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day.